Hi guys, welcome to the latest episode of this unbelievable life. I have one of my dear longtime friends, uh, Holly Dunn Pendleton, who I have known almost as long as I've been in Evansville. And I am so excited and honored to have her on the show today. She is the author of the Soul Survivor Memoir, and she is an inspirational speaker and a victim's right advocate. Holly, take it away. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's fun to uh, be here today. So thank you. Um, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit today about some different things because I feel like, I mean, a lot of people have heard me speak and I've been speaking for 20 plus years probably now. And I feel like my story has probably evolved over the past 20 years, but really changed, I think, since the books come out because there is such an amazing story in my healing process over the past 20 years. You know, it hasn't been, you know, I had this horrible thing happen to me when I was in college and that's, that was one day, right? And so, but it was one day that changed the trajectory of my life. So, you know, what's really amazing is I guess how I'm able to, how I was able to, and still am healing. I mean, I'm, I'll be healing for the rest of my life, but how my healing was able to get me to the point where I am today. And I think that that's probably something that people don't get to hear a lot about from me because usually I'm trying to stick my, when I go out and speak, I'm sticking it into an hour and I don't have time to like get into everything I want to talk about. Um, and I start to talk really fast and maybe I'm not as effective, right? So, I mean, truly the, I, I mean, I think a big reason why I'm able to be here and be like I am today is my, first of all, talking about what happened to me. I think that the fact that I was asked to speak soon after this happened was like a godsend because I was, people were asking me to talk about it and they wanted me to talk about it. And I don't think that I even realized at the time how healing that was for me to get the story outside of me and to not have it just be within me and affect me it it gave me control over my story so you know i'm i was able to cry through it and to be vulnerable and to show people how affected i was by it and so through that speaking i was healing and, you know, I, I had no idea that that's what I was doing, you know, that, and it was such an unconventional approach to healing, right? Because people think you should be in therapy and you should do these things that you do privately that you do one-on-one, -on -one, right? For, for healing, that's how we do it. And, and I'm not saying therapy now is amazing for me. So I'm not saying that that's not part of the healing too, but just that you can take an unconventional approach to healing that doesn't necessarily look like what everybody else thinks it should be. So for me, speaking and talking about what happened to me was very healing. And I don't think that everybody should do that. I don't think that everybody wants to go out and, you know, the very first time they go speak to speak to 700 women, which is what I did. I don't think everybody wants to do that. But I, what I want people to know is that you, if you can get your story outside of you, whether that's through art, an art project, whether that's through a song, whether that's through a poem, whether that's through a journal, whether that's through just a friend you're talking to or a group that you're talking to. Um, a pastor, a, a classmate, a, a teacher, whoever it is, if you can talk to someone and they are a, a great listener and, and they, they, 
you know, validate what you're saying. And they, you know, just, they don't even have to agree, but they just let you say it right. They, that they let you say it and don't judge you for it. Right. That is healing. Getting that story out is healing. Um, and, and, and I, I can't tell you that I think that that was such a big part of that my story, it, it lost, I, it lost all the control it had over me and it became that it was mine and, and I could do with it what I wanted to. Um, <clears throat> so that I think was huge in my healing. I also think, you know, I had a lot more to heal from than just the attack and, you know, the, the physical attack, um, and the, you know, the mental part of it, I had more to heal from, you know, my boyfriend was killed at the time and I had to deal with his death and the grief that comes with that. Uh, and, you know, I truly, I, what was amazing was I was able to befriend all of my boyfriend's friends, the people that knew him the best. And so I was able to do things that he loved to do because I only knew him for three months. I mean, I didn't know really, you know, him that well, um, the, as well as you can get to know somebody for only three months. And so, you know, I was able to get to know him even after he died through his friends and through doing things that, you know, he loved to do. I went hiking and I went uh, tent camping and I went, you know, and did all this outdoor stuff that I had never really done before, but figured out that I really liked it too. And that that was something that Chris loved to do. And so I was basically grieving through his friends and then also with like healing through what he loved to do and to get to know him, even though he wasn't in the world anymore. Um, so I think that was also a big part of my healing. And I didn't even realize I was doing it at the time I was doing it. It wasn't until I wrote my book that I kind of realized, you know, my co-author helped me kind of put this all together. And so she, you know, when she looked at it, she said, you know, this all makes sense. Like what you did, this was all healing. And I'm like, huh, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, I, I just didn't look at it like that. I didn't, it was just how I needed to do things. And I didn't, I just didn't see it as that this was really healing for me. You know, and that's something that I think people <clears throat> have, you know, all the, they have their thoughts on how healing should go. And I really think that healing for everybody is so different. And that's why you can't follow, you know, a book or a pamphlet that tells you how to do it because it's different for everybody. You know, for some people, therapy and one-on-one -on -one kind of help is going to be exactly what they need. And so they should do that. Right. But if that, if that doesn't feel right, then you have to know that there's these other avenues, there's support groups, which I was a, I was a huge I am a huge believer in support groups. I believe that there is power. First of all, there's power in stories, which we know that. I mean, this, this podcast proves that there's power in stories, right? So there's power in telling your story in, in stories. And what a support group does is it gives everybody the opportunity to tell their story, right? And to, to speak their story. But then also it gives them tools on how to, if they're anything that they're doing, like for me, I was using humor as a defense mechanism and I was not feeling anything. I'm trying to just deflect, right? And so when I'm actually feeling and not using that humor as a defense mechanism, which my the support group taught me that I was doing that, then I can actually cry. And I mean, it actually, you know, like it, it doesn't become, it, it puts emotion back into the story, which, you know, it isn't, a, my story is an emotional story. And 
for, for me, be able to sit there stoic and talk about it. People are like, what is, how does she do that? And it's because I was detaching from it. Right. I mean, that was the only way I thought I could be effective, but what, and, and that's how I spoke and that's how I did stuff. Right. But, but that wasn't, that wasn't genuine. That wasn't like how I needed to actually heal. You can't heal when you're deflecting and like keeping stuff inside. So, you know, a support group for me was a huge healing, um, thing that I did. Um, and I even have been in support groups as time has gone on. I've been in different support groups, even in Evansville through the Albion Fellows Bacon Center. And I've, you know, been able to be in other support groups. So I still think support groups are a huge, helpful um, thing for any kind of trauma. It's not necessarily that that's the thing too, is that people go through hard things in their life all the time, right? We all go through hard stuff. And for me, this one day of, of, you know, what people kind of define my life has kind of been defined by was not my last hard day, right? I've had really hard days since then. You know, I've lost my siblings. I have gone through infertility. You know, I mean, I've had these hard, hard things that have tested me, but what I think I had during those hard times was the coping skills that I used to heal from this horrible tragedy. So I could get through, I could, I could more easily get through you know, losing my siblings and going through infertility, even though infertility almost destroyed me and my marriage. I mean, like it was, that was awful. Um, but you know, what I could do was to actually use those coping skills that I had learned through the support group and through the healing that I had done previously. And I could incorporate those into my healing and what I needed today. So, you know, we all go through stuff and we've developed coping skills in our life that have maybe taught us good ways to deal with things or bad ways to deal with things. You know, there's negative coping skills and there's good coping skills. So, you know, it, 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 you have to learn those good coping skills. I think that that is something that people need to learn to, you know, just know that they can get through those hard things in their life. So, um, you know, one thing that people in my work with victims, people always want to know what they can do to help their loved one that's going through this. And, you know, that's one of the hardest things you'll have to go through as a loved one of a victim of, of a person that goes through some trauma or anything is to watch them and to know that you don't have any control over it. Right. That's that's the hardest thing to do is to just watch it happen. And so what I tell people is the one thing that you can control because you can't control whether your loved one asks for help or if they even get help, they may, you know, be having negative coping skills. You know, you don't, it's not you, you can't do anything because it's their choice. Right. But one thing that you can do as a loved one is to inform yourself inform yourself about the the resources in your community that help people whatever this person has gone through right cuz and in, in Evansville we have an amazing support system here for people we have amazing organizations that are there for people that help people that you know just support people and so if you can inform yourself on what those organizations are in Evansville that or in, even in the tri-state area that might support your loved one, right? Whatever they might need. I mean, whether it's advocacy or legal work or, 
um, just someone to talk to, right? Whatever it is, um, you can inform yourself on organizations that could help. And then maybe when they ask you or when they, when they even come and talk to you and they say, you know, I might really like to get some help to, you know, today, or I might really like to get some help tomorrow. You know how to help them. And that's, you know, you can inform yourself and then you, that's what you can have control over. So you can control that, you know, about what could help them in the future, like organizations that could help them or people or um, businesses, even that, you know, about those, and then you can help them in the future. And I think that that's one thing that you can control and you can feel like, okay, I'm empowered to help you now. Um, and that, you know, I, and it's still very hard. I mean, that I, I think my parents did an amazing job. My, my, my sister did an amazing job of letting me talk. I mean, they, they didn't know what to say. And that's a lot of times we don't, we don't know what to say. And it, the, one of the best things you can do is to not talk. And, and that's really hard to do, but sometimes that's exactly what somebody needs is they just need somebody to hear them. And so you don't have to say anything. And you can even say that. You can say, I don't have any words for you, but just know that I'm here to listen and I'm here to be there for you. I am here for you, right? That's one of the best things you can say because and because you're going to feel like you're going to say something wrong. You're going to feel like, I'm, I don't know what to say. I'm going to say something wrong, so I'm not going to say anything at all. And, and not saying anything at all can be the right thing to do. I think what people do is that they don't say anything at all. And then they're not there for them either. They, they might say, I don't know what to say. And then they cut themselves off. Right. Cause they don't know what to say and they feel uncomfortable. I think what we have to do is get past that uncomfortableness and just sit in the quiet. Right. And sit in that, like be in that space. It's a, that's the vulnerable, vulnerable space that we have to be in to maybe be a support system for our loved one. And that's, you know, it, that's a hard place to be, but a lot of times it is just that you, and even if you don't know what to say to be there for them and to listen. And that's what my parents did. And I don't think they even did that on purpose. I think they just didn't know what to say. And so they just kind of didn't say anything and which was a good thing. They let me kind of lead the, lead the talk. Um, and I think it really, helped me. Um, you know, I, I don't think they, they had any idea what they were doing either, but, but they did the right thing. Okay. Well, tell us where we can find you online and where to get the book. Sure. So I actually have the book here with me. So this is the book right here. Um, the best place to buy it right now is on Amazon to be truthful. Um, the, it, it, they have the best price for the book. So the best place to buy it is on Amazon. Um, you can go through to my website, which is soulsurvivormemoir.com or hollykdunn.com, holly, the letter k.com. Um, either one of those, and it'll actually take you to Amazon because I always want people to get the best price. I mean, you know, get the best price on the book that you can get. Um, but it also, if you want, if anybody wants a signed book, which I'll also sign them for people, I just charge a little more, but I can also ship them. So if somebody were to contact me directly, through email or through social media. I'm Holly K. Dunn on, on all the social media sites. So it's Holly, the letter K, Dunn.com on everything. But if somebody wants a signed book, they just have to contact me and I can make that happen too. And I guess last question. Um, so you recently did a television episode telling your story. Where can we find that? Is that available online? 
Yeah. So um, the the most recent show that I've done was called I Survived a Serial Killer. And it was originally on A&E, the A&E network. But right now it's on Hulu. Um, so if you have Hulu, you can watch that show. It's the um, season one, episode two. So it's the second episode of, of the season one. Um, and you can watch that right now. And I think still the 48 hours, the CBS special that I did several years ago is still online as well. If you go to the CBS website, they have that still online as well. If you just search for my name, search for Holly Dunn, you're going to probably find it. Um, you can also get to it through my website. So if you go to Holly K Dunn, those are linked in my website too. One more question. So this is actually how we met. Can you tell the listeners about Holly's house and, and, and the start of that and your role in that? Sure. Well, Holly's house was um, and is an amazing organization in Evansville. So Holly's house is a child and adult advocacy center that provides um, an, a safe interview location for victims of intimate crimes. And they do um, prevention education and promote justice. They, it, it's an amazing organization that's been around for 14 years in Evansville, which that's crazy, right? Um, but so I got involved because Brian Turpin, one of the co-founders with me, called me at, at work one day and said, we want to get you involved in this. And I first had to Google what it was because I had no idea. And I was actually searching for something at that time to, to for searching for something to be a part of, right? Because somebody had said, I want to give you money. What can I, what can I do? What can I want to give you money? And I'm like, um, you want to give me money? Like, I don't know. Do I need to start a foundation? Do I need to just give it to somebody? Like, what do I do? Right. And so I was looking for something and I, I was really like hoping that I would find that thing. And he calls me and says, we'd like to start this and we'd like to get you involved. Um, and they had already applied for nonprofit status. And I was like, okay, I was like, this might be my thing. So um, Holly's house was in development for four and a half years and it opened in 2008. And that's how Nikki and I met is that Nikki took photographs at our opening gala, which, I mean, that's crazy to think that that, that was that long ago. I honestly um, think it it's, one of, it's, one, it's literally one of my very first Facebook pictures is you and me at that. Yeah. I mean, it, and it just doesn't feel like that long ago. Time's flying. I mean, my I know time flies, but time really is flying. But so Holly's house is still open today. It's um, on, off of First Avenue on North Park Drive in Evansville. Um, and it's a wonderful organization to support because, I mean, we opened 100% debt-free 14 years ago, but they they today they have to get private donations and um, grants and business donations to stay in business. I mean, you know, a nonprofit is still a business and they, so they have to operate and they have so many more. I mean, when I was there, we only had three employees. Now they've got, you know, so many employees and um, it's so much bigger than it was when I was there, but they're doing amazing work. I, um, a lot of people have seen, seen or heard of the think first stay safe program that they teach in the area schools. Um, kindergarten through fifth grade right now, get that program. Um, and it is an, an amazing program. And for $20, a $20 donation, you're sending a child through that program. So we, we offer that program free to all the schools and, you know, it's just, it's an amazing program to be a part of. Um, and so if anybody wants to learn more about Holly's house, they can go to hollyshouse.org. Um, and it's also just Holly's house on social media sites. 
So awesome. Girl, you are so extraordinary and I am so lucky and so blessed to have you in my life. Thank you so much for coming on this episode and thank you all for listening to this, this episode of this unbelievable life.